0: THE LEGENDS OF EARTH, CHAPTER 5, JAKE VARUS You, tree, flows the forest. The spreading node of cycles flow. The permeable fissures reaching nexus. Harmonics resonate. THE LEGENDS OF EARTH, VERSE 3762 Pulsing through the blackness of space, just outside the orbit of Venus, A shape is lurking. Behind it trails a beam of light, miles long. Light and energy from the nearby sun glints off chinks and protrusions that break the regularity of its slowly rotating carapace. Light and particulate matter are radiating from it in a halo, giving it the appearance of a green-tinted comet. At the same time, or as close to simultaneously as you can get in a spaceship hurtling at relativistic speeds somewhere along Neptune's orbit, a man named Jake was settling into his bunk. Listening to the creaking of metal and the slight whistle of a pipe somewhere aft, Jake pulled off his gloves, swung up his legs, and began drifting off nearly the moment he was horizontal. 68,723 hours, 52 minutes, 7 seconds, read the clock behind his head. His dreams were troubled. In the morning, The clock on the wall read 68,731 hours, 16 minutes, 35 seconds. Jake swung his legs out of the bunk for what he figured was probably the 2,864th time and placed his bare feet on the floor. Reaching up beside his head, he pulled the oil-stained red rubber gloves down from their clip and stood up, pacing out onto the steel walkway that led to the control room. Outside the main window a vast expanse of stars was visible. Far away from the sun and any planetary light source, there was nothing to impede the rays of light flowing from the distant spheres. In fact, the light was bright enough to read by, and Jake pulled out a star chart, unrolling it on the space below the dashboard. Taking note of an instrument that measured his distance from the sun, he made several marks on the chart, calculating his trajectory. Glancing up at the darkness beyond the window, He drew several vector lines, then scratched them out. Hunching over, he wrote a small note on the paper. He chewed the end of his pencil, underlined something twice, then set it down in frustration. Early in his career, finding a safe harbor in Neptune's vicinity would have been a simple matter of contacting one of the colonies in artificial orbit along the planet's trajectory. In the past, he used to plan his run to allow for a stop off at Pose or Teco. Pose used to have the best maintenance bays in the system, as well as some incredible mountain chains. On Teco, he had once spent several months exploring a system of caverns that ran through the center of an asteroid. The caverns were colonized by bacteria that synthesized organic compounds from the chemicals in the asteroid's walls. A variety of creatures fed on the bacteria, and the caverns had evolved into a bizarre labyrinth filled with fern-like plants that grew in total darkness. He traveled carrying only a torch in a small backpack, occasionally cooking the ferns that lived in the crevices of the walls. Since Jake had become a pilot, Pose and Teko had been caught up in the war, and they were now extremely dangerous places to be, experiencing frequent power shifts as various factions competed over their resources and strategic location. Pose, last he had heard, had been taken over by some kind of militant faction, and was currently under military rule. Teco at various times had been used as an industrial processing plant for the creation of warships, and its biosphere had collapsed under the intensive use. After calculating and subsequently scratching out several more vector lines on his chart, Jake settled on a small asteroid colony several million kilometers above the orbit path of the planet. As he input the vector into the ship's computer, the view beyond the window began to shift. The spaceship was reorienting itself for deceleration, Flipping several switches, he glanced up as a light appeared on the dashboard. The light indicated that inertia fields had come online, however he wanted to double-check this, since without them he would be instantly crushed the moment the ship began to decelerate. Listening closely, he noted a slight static hum in the background, which indicated that the fields were active. Finally, he pressed down a large glowing dial on the instrument panel, which clicked. Crack! A flash of brilliant light swept past the window. Crack. Crack. The inertia fields and the enormous shock absorber at the back of the spaceship captured most of the impact from the fission-based propulsion system. Due to a statistical anomaly in the fields, Jake had never quite been able to eliminate the sound of the explosions. It felt a bit like living above a shooting gallery, but he had gotten used to it over the years, at times even thinking of it fondly as the ship's heartbeat. Several hours later, the explosion ceased. Jake extracted himself from a recess of the wall, where he had been tinkering with the ship's superconducting power storage system. The system stored massive quantities of electrical energy, but had to be kept below a certain temperature to avoid bursting into flames. Setting down his tools, he clambered up a ladder and moved once again up the steel ramp to the control room. Through the window, the asteroid colony was visible as several clusters of violet specks the dark shapes of the asteroids themselves rotating slowly against the stars. A light on the dashboard indicated incoming radio transmissions. Jake turned a dial, and a hiss of static came through the receiver. Checking through several frequencies, he eventually found what seemed like the correct channel. To unidentified ship, please state your intention. Tarsa colony, to unidentified ship, please state your intention. They were using the common tongue that had been developed on Earth long ago. Spaceship Orion to Tarsa Colony. This is Jake speaking. Is there a docking bay available? A pause. Spaceship Orion, message received. We have a docking bay available. Please hold course and wait an escort. After a few seconds, Jake noticed a pair of silhouettes flanking the Orion on either side. The shapes were streamlined and nearly invisible against the blackness of space, outfitted with reflective shields. The disparity was striking. How could they have sleek fighters like these at their disposal, and still be working with such an archaic communications technology? Holding his course, Jake watched the first of the behemoth asteroids slide past in his window, covered with flickering violet light sources. Was the lighting intentional? Something to see by? Combustion from some kind of industrial process? Jake couldn't tell. The silhouettes on either side of the ship turned and slid to the right, and Jake felt his controls taken over by an automatic docking system. The docking bay was a slot sent into the wall of a shaft that dropped further into the asteroid. Jake winced as docking fields manhandled the Orion into place, hoping the slot was large enough to accommodate the ship's long tail. Instead of the standard bulky hydraulics most spaceships would have used for a shock absorber, Jake had personally engineered a system that used flexible carbon-fiber legs to capture the force of the propulsion system. The legs functioned like a bow and arrow, or a pair of gigantic frog legs. They flexed back and forth to catapult the ship through space, splaying out and retracting with each blast. He was very proud of the way the lightweight design maximized propellant efficiency and acceleration while minimizing recoil friction and mechanical complexity. Docking bay operators had never seemed to appreciate this, however. Fortunately, these particular fields seemed fairly precise, and the ship touched down after only a minor reorientation. Jake took a breath. Now for the complicated part. If there hadn't been a critical need for maintenance and resupply, he never would have stopped in an unknown colony. He knew next to nothing about Tarsa, its inhabitants, its affiliations or loyalties. Perhaps they'll be controlled by the Comores, he thought. The Comores, who had evolved on Mercury, were an adaptable people with tough gray skin that was resistant to temperature differentials. If the Comores were in control of the colony, he thought he could get by. They were one of the longest-standing solar empires, with cities on Jupiter, Saturn, Neptune, and Mercury, as well as on a number of asteroids and comets. Jake had spent time in Comorian colonies in the past and understood the basics of their culture. Descending the ladder, Jake entered the ship's main hatchway. He double-checked the readings on the hatchway's instrument panel, which assured him that the external environment was habitable. He thumbed a large green button, and the hatchway began to unseal with a hiss of compressed gas. Finally, it dropped open, leaving a passage to the docking bay floor. Emerging from the belly of the Orion, Jake looked around the docking bay. His was one of the larger ships. Many of the others were small construction and maintenance vessels, unlikely to have flown even as far as a nearby colony. There were a few larger ships, apparently trade vessels and transports. Jake wondered how many were capable of interplanetary travel. He turned. Coming towards him from across the bay were several tall, spider-like humanoids, The creatures each had six long limbs and a reddish, crab-like exoskeleton. They immediately fanned out, inspecting the ship and attaching locks and propellant hoses. After a moment, one of the humanoids came over to him, speaking in a voice that Jake thought suggested unnecessarily lengthy vocal cords. His speech, it seemed to be male, was solar common, categorized by a particular rattling quality.
1: Welcome to Tarsa, traveler.
0: He said in a friendly tone.
1: Thank you, and who might you be? I am Higuro. I am the Welcoming Committee. I can help you find accommodations, if you would like, and arrange for a resupply of your ship. If you don't mind, however, we would like to do an inspection. Do you mind if I ask why? Not at all. The Docking Commissioner asked that I search your ship because There has recently been a rash of smuggling through the colony. Not simply the usual drugs, weapons, stolen ship components. We recently intercepted a ship that was carrying sentient prisoners for an unknown purpose. It was headed for the outer comets. The pilot ate a cyanide capsule before we could capture him.
0: Jake wasn't surprised. An outer colony like Tarsa would tend to attract crime, particularly if the politics of the region were unstable. Hagaro looked, a little disparagingly, Jake thought, at the Orion.
1: We don't expect anything like that from you, of course, but the docking commissioner wished me to check.
0: This seemed fair enough to Jake, and so he gestured Hagaro inside.
1: I shan't be a minute.
0: He scampered up the ladder, his movements surprisingly deft as his carapace clicked up the steel rungs. Jake waited at the base. True to his word, Hagaru reappeared a few moments later, clicking back down the rungs.
1: Your spaceship appears to be sound and devoid of prisoners. Since you're new here, is there anything I can help you with? Certainly. I'm
0: hoping to do some maintenance on my ship and to find a resupply. Is that possible? The creature nodded and its brow furrowed.
1: Mm, I believe so. Maintenance should not be a problem. We have an excess of spare components and materials, some of which I'm sure you would be able to use. Just ask one of the technicians, and they will provide you with what you need. A full resupply may be more difficult. However, you should be able to find everything you need without flying to another asteroid. I recommend searching the marketplaces here and on other parts of Nereka, which is the name of the asteroid on which we are standing. Now I am afraid I have other ships to attend to.
0: At this, the spider-like humanoids crawling over the ship dropped back to the docking bay floor and trotted off in another direction. This was all right with Jake. His first priority was to get some rest. Despite the 24-hour sleep schedule he had developed during his time in space, he often found that he lost track of time when first arriving in a new colony. For the moment, he would stay on the ship, sleeping there until a new opportunity presented itself. After resting, Jake decided to make a move on acquiring supplies and exploring his new environment. It had been a while since he last stretched his legs on a new colony, and he was looking forward to learning more about Tarsa. Opening the main hatchway once again, he stepped out and made his way towards a corridor in the side of the bay that seemed to be an exit. The corridor was lit by some kind of electric lamp which cast white light on the stone walls of the asteroid after a few minutes the corridor turned opening up into a cavernous passageway many of the crab-like humanoids were hurrying past seemingly on various errands turning into or emerging from other passageways set into the walls most didn't give jake a second glance life elsewhere on tarsa must be very diverse jake thought if a short pre-space-looking humanoid like himself failed to attract any attention. This assumption turned out to be true. Abruptly, Jake emerged from his passageway and was almost swept away in a current of people. Some of these were the same type he had seen earlier, however, there were a number of other varieties as well. In addition to crowds of the tall, six-limbed humanoids, another dominant form was short and muscular, with a greenish tint to their skin. A third was very pre-space-human, mixed in among the dominant groups, were a baffling variety of other types. Jake noticed that the pre-space humans tended to travel in groups, set apart from the main flow of the crowd. Along the sides of the boulevard, areas carved into the wall were sectioned off for market vendors. This was a promising sign to Jake. The salespeople might not have exactly what he needed, but hopefully they could point him in the right direction. As he stood there, one of the short, muscular humanoids approached him, Speaking in Solar Common, it said, Hello. You're a new face. Did you just arrive here? Yesterday. Who are you? My name is Jos. I live nearby. Are you looking for something? Thanks for asking. I'm looking to find a resupply for my ship. I need a new source of propellant, also new sources of energy, both for the propulsion system and for life support. The creature cracked a grin. Sure. I know a friend. He can get you a power source. Come this way. He started off in the direction of a nearby passageway, gesturing for Jake to follow him, and glancing over his shoulder at something Jake couldn't see. Jake followed the other humanoid closely as they pushed through a forest of red exoskeletons, trying not to lose his guide as they wove through the crowd. Ducking into the passageway, the smaller creature stopped at one of the vendor stalls, beckoning Jake over. Jake approached the stall, peering into the dark space inside. It was filled with a great many strange objects. Some of these were high-tech gadgets, even reminiscent of the ships that had guided Jake into Tarsa. Objects with streamlined casings, clearly well-designed and powerful. Others were less high-tech, traditional technologies whose designs had stayed in use or had been modified for a new purpose. Behind the stall, another of the green humanoids was standing, leaning against a shelf. In the corner was seated one of the six-limbed humanoids. On seeing him, it immediately rose to its feet. Jake felt a shock of recognition. It was the same one that had greeted him in the docking bay the day before.
1: Come inside quickly, said Higaro. You should know you are dangerously out of touch with events in this part of the solar system. Please come inside.
0: Jake was taken aback by the urgency in his expression. Yas, the green humanoid, grasped at Jake's hand, Pulling him in behind the counter and glancing over his shoulder again as he did so. He pulled Jake into a recess of the stall where they were invisible from the street. They were followed by Hagaro and the other green humanoid, whose name Jake didn't know. Jake began to speak, but Hagaro cut him off.
1: Is your ship a T class?
0: Jake almost yelped. It was an ancient model, long since out of production. Hagaro nodded.
1: I most people wouldn't recognize them, but I've been the docking bay operator here for a long time, so I've seen my fair share of spaceships. You're lucky it was me and not the docking commissioner who was overseeing the docking fields when you came in. If she notices the sails, you might already be in the custody of the telos.
0: Ice was rising along Jake's spine. Wasn't his spaceship still sitting in the bay, in plain view? Is there a risk someone will notice it?
1: I think it's uh, hidden well enough, since the masks are concealed in their castings. Most people don't possess any experience when it comes to recognizing spaceship models. The docking commissioner certainly doesn't.
0: After a moment, Jake voiced the next question on his mind.
1: Okay, so who are the Telos? They came here several years ago. They're the ones that look like pre-space humans. They're incredibly militaristic. They wiped out our defense grid like it wasn't there, and took over the colony's government. They essentially run this colony now, and they're occupying all central positions of power. There are several underground resistance movements taking place, however. Which you three are a part of. Naturally.
0: Jake wondered what he had gotten himself into. Glancing back out at the street, he saw several of the pre-space-looking humanoids walking casually past the shopfront. Thinking for a second, he asked, So,
1: what's your interest in me? We brought you here to offer an exchange. Your ship is in need of maintenance and a resupply, correct? Jake nodded. I brought you here to purpose a trade. The Resistance can supply you with both while keeping you minimally involved with Telos. Go on. In exchange, I have a use in mind for your ship.